We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And um, here this morning we're going to be reading a story that's mentioned in the book of Matthew. Mark and also in the book of John. But we're going to focus on Matthew 14 in verse 22. This is what it reads. It says immediately after this. After what? Well, after Jesus had just fed with his disciples, his 12 disciples of 5,000. So they just experienced a miracle. They saw something that they'd never seen before, the feeding of the 5,000. So immediately after this, Jesus insisted. It's interesting. Jesus it, it, it wants them to do this. He probably gives them no options. Jesus insisted that his disciples to get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And while he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water, And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Or as some would say, some translation would translate, I am is here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word, I pray that we're challenged. That we're challenged in obeying you. That we're challenged in asking ourselves if there's anything we need to take a risk in. That we can challenge ourselves and be honest with, as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts here this morning, that we should ask the question, do we have a heart that is hard? And what needs to be changed? And so, God, I pray that we'll be sensitive to your spirit and let your spirit work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the disciples help Jesus feed the five thousand people. They estimate that it was probably more than that because they weren't going to be counting women and children. So it may have been closer to 10,000 possibly. We know this. It's a lot of people to feed. It's a lot of people to feed. And if you go back and read the story, um, one of the disciples was like, I don't, we could never afford to, you know, take care of all these people and feed them, Jesus. And he said, you know, bring what you have. And there was a little boy that had his loaves and he had his fish and man, they fed Jesus fed the 5,000. And then just to kind of show the disciples, afterward there was 12 baskets left. <laughs> Jesus like, and I have some left over just for each one of you. But what's so interesting is that the people, as they're being fed, their bellies are full. And if you know, the Jewish people, they couldn't stand the Romans. 
I mean, they wanted to make Israel great again. That was their, that was their goal. They did not want the Romans over them. They were waiting for the Messiah who would deliver them. And Jesus Messiah was there and they were ready to make him king. They were ready. They're ready to follow him anywhere. But there were some things they were missing. They were missing some of these spiritual truths that Jesus was showing them. And it was what we see here. We see that their hearts, the disciples' hearts were hard. Now one might think, well, how, how were their hearts hard they just saw a, a miracle and and, and you could kind of see looking back with the nation of Israel that that each morning as the Israelites would go out and manna had fell from heaven and they could collect the the manna that honey wafer that substance of God and how he was feeding them and yet their hearts became hard as well I mean, supernaturally, God provided for the Israelites. Supernaturally, Jesus is providing right, right here in this story. And yet their hearts are hard. And so while there's things we can take out of um, this story of Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water and Peter sinking, and we will, we'll kind of take a look at that here a little bit. Ultimately, why did Jesus insist that they get on the boat? They had a hard heart. They had hard hearts. And it was Jesus wanted to soften their hearts. The Sea of Galilee, if you don't know much about it, the Sea of Galilee is, well, they call it the Sea of Galilee because it's so large, but it's not a sea at all. It's not salty. It's, it's fresh. In fact, they would call it sweet water. And I have a map, a little map here for you. Um, I know you're impressed by my drawing here. This is with a mouse, by the way. So, um, but where they're starting, and they are starting in, um, Tiberias here on the circle, and they're headed up to, um, 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 I think it's, I mean, what was the name of, of where they were headed, I can't. I can't remember. No, they're not headed to Capernaum. John says Capernaum is where they end up. But in fact, in this passage, where they end up, end up afterward, as they end up over in Jacinta, which is kind of in between Capernaum. So they're they're headed towards. I think it's called um, um, the, other side. the other side of the lake. Yeah, <laughs> the other side of the lake. The other side, there you go. But it actually was from where Peter and Andrew were, uh, were from. I'll find it later, but it um, starts with a B. Uh, I thought I had it written down here, but nonetheless. But the, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long. From the very top, north to south, 13 miles long. It's about seven miles wide, and they are smack middle of the lake. Now, I always used to... Th- used to think, as I would study this passage, and even on some commentaries that, which I would read, um, that storms on the Sea of Galilee like this were common. Now, storms are common on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, the, it's the deepest sea um, it, on the earth like this, and, and our deepest body of water uh, on earth. And, and so, yeah, storms could come upon it suddenly, but was this kind of storm that would produce this kind of waves common? And the answer is no. How do we know that? Well, because it's still there. You can go there. Some of you probably have been on the Sea of Galilee. And so out of curiosity, there's some different YouTube videos I was 
watching and searching, not even necessarily this week, but just in the past of like, what is it really like on the Sea of Galilee? What is it like when a storm comes in the Sea of Galilee? And you know what I found? All the videos were very, very underwhelming. I'm like, why would anyone be scared of that wave? That's just a normal wave. And you've been on a lake. You've you've seen bigger waves than that. And you didn't think, oh, no, I'm going to die. What's interesting is that this storm in which the disciples experienced, some of them being seasoned fishermen, their fathers being seasoned fishermen, this was no ordinary storm. In fact, this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime storm they experienced. In 1992, and there's video you can find on YouTube. You can go check it out. I just took a picture. I don't have time to really show a video. But this is part of the video, uh, part of the video, a picture of the video of where there was such a storm and the wind was so, um, was so high and pushed so much of the water up on the banks that um, you see the man there. Let's say he's five and a half or maybe he's six foot you say well that's only a six foot wave but when you count all the water being pushed the height of the highest waves that day they were up to 10 feet and i believe this was the kind of storm in which these disciples were experiencing in this boat it's estimated that they started probably leaving tiberius probably around eight o'clock ish And we see it's 3 o'clock. Estimated around 7 hours of rowing. They're probably, some of them, I'm sure at least one of them, was seasick. Uh, If you've ever been on a boat, I remember I've been on a head boat that we'd go out with about 40 people. And we went out 13 miles. And we were on that boat going one direction, I think, for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And it was, and my brother's puking on the side of the boat. And my other brother and I are just laying inside praying. We don't want to vomit in here. Like, it is rough. We finally stop, and the waves were only about two or three feet. And we're like, okay, we can, we can, we can handle this. And we had a great day, and it was fun until we went back. And then we experienced the same thing. And like, oh, this is a light day. And I'm like, ah, man, I may never, ever come back to this if this was just a light day. I don't know if I could handle those four to six foot waves. And here are the disciples. They're rowing. They're tired. They're cold. And they're thinking, we're never going to get back. They think to themselves, we might just die. And kind of a tradition of that time was that if you... If you were out at sea, and it was tradition, this is not Bible, but the tradition was kind of the, 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 um, the old stories would be before you died at sea, you would possibly see a ghost or a spirit. And if you saw someone walking on the water and you'd been out there for seven hours and you were feeling seasick and you were cold, wet and tired, thinking Jesus made me come out here, you'd be going, I think we might just die. And you're in eight foot waves, maybe at the tallest 10, maybe there's six, but you're out on the lake and you're in not a huge boat. I mean, you're probably even for a modern boat today, it would be a situation where like, I don't want to be out here in this. And the kind of boat you can kind of go back and you have some general measurements of how 
big their fishing boats were. It would have been awful. It would have been dangerous. It would have been life-threatening. And you can imagine their mindset, and suddenly they see someone walking, and no wonder they thought to themselves, we're going to die. We see a ghost. This is it. We're done. Jesus sent us out here to die. And this once-of-a-lifetime storm. But Jesus told them to go. So I want to break it down this way. Break it down this way. Is that to follow Jesus, following Jesus, means letting him navigate. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted. In some translations it says that Jesus constrained them. Now be truthful. If you were one of the disciples... And you've been out there seven hours, rowing. Middle of the night, it's pitch black. It's not like you can see the, the lights at shore. It's not like they had electricity. They're thinking to themselves, we, can't, we can barely see our face, our hand in front of our face, and here we are, and we're in this situation, and Jesus constrained us, I mean pushed us, to get, wouldn't you be angry? I think a lot of us would. We'd be like, I know I, I heard Jesus right. In fact, if Jesus insisted, it's almost like Jesus said it more than once. And he didn't go with them. It's one thing if Jesus went with them, but he didn't go with them. Jesus is up on the mountainside and he's praying. From what we gather when you read John, Mark, and you read Matthew, you kind of gather all together and you get a full picture of the story. He's praying for them. Some say this is a little bit of a picture of what's happening today. That Jesus is sitting next to God the Father. And he's praying for us as we toil and we deal with some of the difficulties here on earth. Some think that our loved ones and those in heaven who know us, that they're praying for us. I love this painting. It's a Rembrandt painting. And so the disciples, as they battle the storm, as they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, wondering, thinking, what's going to happen next? But Jesus had told them to go there. This is where they're at. And we see, we see that even though they had seen Jesus perform different miracles, they didn't think it was him. They thought it was a ghost. What's interesting is in Mark chapter 6, we're not going to turn there. What's interesting in Mark chapter 6 is that it says, as Jesus was walking on the water, that it says it in this way, that he would have passed by them, but they cried out for help. But they cried out for help. Here in this passage, it says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. So we get at this idea, Jesus is walking towards them. And according to Mark, he just would have kept on going. Why is that? As you would imagine, there's different opinions on why this is the case. Some would say that we see as Jesus in verse 27, as he speaks to the disciples, he says, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. What is he saying there? 
Some could translate it, I am, quote, is here. And just as God spoke to Moses, that Moses says, who should I tell Pharaoh that is sending me? Just tell him the I am is sending you. The I am. What was Jesus? He said, I am God. I am here. It don't worry. Uh, don't fear. Jesus said, God is here. And similar to the scene between Moses and God in the book of Exodus, it speaks of a divine manifestation of his presence, reassuring them. And anytime God showed up, it was to reassure. It was as Jesus was reassuring them, God is here in the midst of this storm. Job 9.8 says, He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. Maybe they should have known if they had read Job chapter 9. You know, it's also said, I think another reason, and I think that's probably the main reason of why Jesus would have passed by them, of to show his divinity, to reassure them that he was there. But I also think this, is that God is not going to force himself into our situation. That the Bible says that you have not because you ask not. And so Jesus would have passed by them, but they go, whoa, whoa, what is going on here? Who's walking on the water? Is this a ghost? And they call out to Jesus. And in the middle of our storms in which we have today, we have some options. We have some options. You see, Scripture lets us know that as believers, God is with us. He hasn't forsaken us. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. We see that in the Bible. We see that in Scripture. We see Scripture says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Sometimes we don't feel close to God. We don't. You've been a Christian for some time. There's times in your life, spiritually, you don't always feel close to God. But it doesn't change the fact that he is there. And that he loves you. And that he is for you. Scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He is for his children. He is for those who trust in him. And so... So when it comes to this, we have an option. Now, as believers, when we find ourselves, maybe we find ourselves in a situation, in a storm of life that is testing our faith. I've heard it said by another pastor that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. There's some truth to that. There's times in which we go through the storms of life. They test us and uh, teach us some lessons in which we would not learn any other way. But here's the thing. Where will you run when life gets tough? And it says, Jesus would have passed by, but they called out to Jesus. Who, you call, well, who will you call out to? Some, when life gets really tough, they love following Jesus as long as it doesn't get too tough. Uh, they love to follow Jesus as long as there's no suffering involved ever. But as soon as there's some difficulty, as soon as there's some pain, it's like, God, you've forsaken me. No. 
He, he hasn't forsaken you. He knows right where you're at. Some, some people will run, they'll run the alcohol to ease that pain. I've had a bad day, I need a drink. I've had a bad day, I need, I need this certain food. And we overindulge. I've had a bad day or I'm dealing with this situation, I, I need to go buy something. See, the flesh leans towards those things. But in the end, when we run to those things, they still leave us feeling feeling out of control, feeling worse than what we originally even felt. God wants us to run to him. Here's a truth you can take with you. The I am is with you. As a believer in Christ, he has promised to indwell every single believer with the Holy Spirit. And we can be filled by the Spirit by asking, by praying, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need you to fill me. Lord, I need you to direct me and help me. To be filled by the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. Maybe you have a problem with your tongue. Have you prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to control your tongue? Maybe you have a problem with your actions. And, and man, you're doing some things you know you should not be doing. Uh, each day, are you praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to help you in your actions? Because the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. It doesn't care about the things of the Spirit. And there's a constant battle that's going to go on between the flesh and the Spirit and the things of God. And you need the Spirit's help, every single one of us. And I think that's what Jesus meant by their hearts being hard. Their bellies were full with bread. It probably was olive garden bread. Had to be. Though the Texas Roadhouse rolls, they're pretty good. Pretty good. Can you imagine if you had been there and maybe... You were there with the 5,000 and that bread tasted like Olive Garden bread and you hadn't ate for a day or two and you'd ate like 10 of them. You would feel great for about an hour. Then you'd feel awful eventually. Uh, you know, it's not in my notes, but I'm just going to ask. Anyone just want to admit here this morning, you just want to confess your sin here this morning, like, I've ate at least, I've ate over 10 one-time preacher. Like, maybe it was in my younger days. Maybe when I was young and naive. Like, I, I, I've done 10. I've done, okay, no one's going to admit to it. Okay, that's all, but it's okay. Where are we? Let's, let's move on. Following Jesus means this as well. It means that there will be times there's, there's risk to be taken. And, and, and so I want to encourage you, and, and I'll break this down, take a risk for God. Now, maybe this is easy for some of you because you're a natural risk taker. Men tend to be this a little more than women, but it can go you know, either way, right? And maybe you're more of a natural risk taker, like you have no problem taking a risk. You probably can see this in your children. I see this with my children. Some of them are more risk takers. Some are more, play a little more safe. But maybe you fall into the category of being a safety seeker, which isn't bad. Some of that is good. But God calls us 
on occasion to get out of our comfort zone and to take a calculated risk of faith. And maybe this morning, God has been pulling on your heart to take a risk. Maybe he's been pulling in your heart. Maybe it's something um, concerning uh, a new ministry that needs to be started. Maybe it's a business that God is leading you to start in the marketplace. Maybe you need to further your education and go into a new field. Maybe it's about having another baby. And we got babies popping out everywhere, right? I mean, that's great. That's good. That's a good sign. But I don't know what it could be. Maybe God wants you to take a risk. And in fact, there's times in which God is going to encourage you to take a risk. It could be a calculated risk. There's a story that we're not going to turn to it. I just want to paraphrase it. But in Matthew 25, Jesus gives a parable, which a parable is always a story with a heavenly meaning. And in that parable, he has, he, he has a, 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 a man who, who owns money and owns a, owns a, I guess you could say a farm or a business. And he gives five talents or five, um, five bags of money to, uh, to one man. And he gives two to another. Then he gives another one. One. So three men, one has five, one has two, one has one. And he tells them, I want you to take it. I want you to invest it. I want you to do the best you can to double your money. And, uh, and so the man who has five does just that. He takes it and he doubles it. Now he had five. Now he has 10. Next guy has two. He doubles it to two. And so now he has four. But the one who had one, he took that one, that one talent, right? That form of money. And he took it and he put it in the dirt. So he wouldn't lose it and no one else would take it. And so as they come before the boss man, he says, man, to the guy who has doubled it to both of them, the one who has five now has ten, the one has two and the four, he says, man, well job, good job. Well done, you good and faithful servant. And um, here, here's, you know, congratulations and rewards them. But the guy who just took the one talent and put it in the dirt, he said, you are wicked. You're, man, what, why didn't you listen? You didn't obey. You did nothing. He's like, well, I was afraid. I was afraid that I would lose the one you gave me. Now notice, notice that in the story, when you read it, the, um, the master, the boss, he, he doesn't go like, hey, um, if you lose it, I'm going to punish you. He doesn't mention that whatsoever. He didn't get on one for the, one who doubled from five to ten, he didn't say, well, why isn't it twenty? Uh, or the one that he gave two, he didn't say, why is it the same uh, amount as the, the guy I gave five? He didn't, he didn't say that to him. He said, hey, you tried, you did your job, you doubled it, well done. But the one who just took the one talent and hid it because he was afraid. What about the other two? Were they afraid of losing the five? Probably. But having courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is having fear under control and marching forward anyway and doing what you need to do in obedience to the Lord. See, following Jesus at times will involve, will involve some risk. He expects us to take some risk for him. Dick Ziegler once said, It is risky for a plane to take off, but that is what planes are meant to do. And it's even riskier for a plane to sit on the ground and rust. It's risky for us as Christians to step out of our comfort zones and to to attempt things for the Lord. But that's what we're called to do. And Christian, you were never meant just to only serve yourself. 
You were called to love, be loved and the love of the people to serve. And yes, be served. But God has called us to a whole lot more. And so do not fear. Do not fear failure. Now, I've always asked myself as I've read this story. That out of the 12 disciples, only one got out of the boat. Only one asked. And we could focus on Peter and go, man, what a failure. But he walked on water. He walked on water. Now, it was just for a short time, but he did walk on water. And where were the other 11? They were still in the boat. Now, why were they in the boat? Well, maybe they were just fearful. Maybe they were just so fearful and tired and a mix of all of it together. They're like, I'm not getting out of this boat. Maybe that's still a ghost out there. But what did Peter say? Jesus, if that's you, I want to come out there. Maybe the second reason was that they had a fear of failure. And really, what we see is when it comes to risk, you can um, have this, this fight or flight you know, response, or there's a third one, and it's faith. It's faith. And God's called us to walk by faith and not by sight. What step of faith is God calling you to take? It doesn't mean that it's a blind faith. It doesn't mean something you should do on a whim. Sometimes there are certain steps of faith and calculated risk that you may want to get some wisdom on from a pastor, a mentor, someone in that field of business, another mature believer in Christ. And you may need to fast and pray about the decision. I mean, there are some things that uh, it can get very, very heavy, but God doesn't show us everything about the future. And that's where faith comes into play, isn't it? If God showed you everything that was going to take place, why would you need faith? Why would you need to trust the Lord? You have it all figured out. But he's called us to have faith. And maybe, maybe you are afraid to take a risk in your life because you're afraid you might fail. A man in life, anyone who is successful at anything, at anything, I'll show you someone who has failed. I'll show you someone who has failed. I, that's the way you learn. We tend to learn more from our failures than our successes in life. And I hope you succeed in whatever you do for the Lord. And whether you own your own business, do it for the Lord. Whether you're a nurse, you're, you're a police officer, or you're a school teacher, do it all for Jesus. Do it for the, do it for the Lord. Uh, maybe there's a ministry he's asking you to get in, uh, that he wants you to commit to. But what does he want you to do? If, maybe you feel like, well, man, I, I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to to have to get off cruise control. I'm going to have to kind of go out on the limb. But as you know, that's where the, that's where the fruit is. So what are some risks that maybe God's calling you to do? Maybe he's asking you to risk the possible embarrassment of sharing the gospel with somebody that you know. But they might reject me. They might laugh at me. They may not want to hear what I have to say. But he wants, he wants to talk to you. He wants you to take that risk. Maybe he's asking you to risk rejection by telling your boyfriend or girlfriend that you're going to be faithful to God above all else, no matter what. And there's certain things that are saved for marriage. 
And so you could even put it this way, right? That boyfriends do not have husband privileges. You could say girlfriends do not have wife privileges. And I'm going to follow God and his word in this way. Maybe he's calling you to work in some form of ministry within church. Maybe he's calling you right now, this morning, as you're watching or you're here, that it's time for you to get serious about your faith and you've been putting it off. Maybe it's time for you to take that step of faith and to give your life to Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin and come to faith and trust in him. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe it's time for you to start trusting God in your finances and start being a giver financially, but not just a giver financially, but also a giver of your time. Maybe maybe it's time for you to make a decision that you see in God's word that you've been ignoring and you're stopping. And God's calling you to get out of your comfort zone. In other words, to get out of your boat, to come out and to walk in faith with him. And so Peter took a calculated risk. And God doesn't want us to take unnecessary risk. But steps of faith is based on wisdom and understanding. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things that Peter did. First, Peter sought the will of Christ first. He said in verse 28, Lord, is it you? And Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He just didn't just hop out of the boat and start walking on the water. He's like, Jesus, if that's you, I want to know your will. I want to know what you're doing, and I'm going to follow you. And Peter jumped up, and he went. And he asked, because you have not. Unless you ask not. And so following Jesus means there will be risk. Following Jesus is sometimes uncomfortable. His impulsive request led him to an experience, a rather unusual demonstration of God's power. But as Peter's walking on the water, he also began to sink. But he began to sink as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and onto the waves, onto the feeling of the wind. He felt the strength. He saw the waves. He thought, how can this, we're in trouble. And he started to sink. And what did he say? Lord, save me. There's times you may take a risk and it may work out for a moment and then it doesn't work out and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? And you took a risk and you're wondering, man, I failed here, I failed there. Christ didn't fail. We may have failed him, but he's not done with us. We learned something new and we focus. I always encourage people, maybe if you're new to church and you're trying to find your place in ministry, to try a ministry out. You may get in that ministry and go, man, this is a perfect fit for me. I'm so glad I'm serving in this area. You may get into a, a, a ministry and go, man, why did I get in this one? This is like torture, right? And uh, But as soon as you take that person and you try to match up their giftedness into an area of ministry in which it matches better, man, they fit well. Sometimes that happens to us. But continually keeping your eyes on Christ is the key to living with Christ. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you're trying to figure out, I mean, how can I walk and be more consistent in my walk with Jesus in 2023? Preacher, I just want to be, I want to be consistent. I don't want to feel like I'm letting Jesus down. I feel like I let him down so much. I feel like Peter sinking in the water. But as Jesus cried out for help, what did the Lord do? 
He helped him. And he'll help you. He knows that we need help. We need his help. And he'll help you. Continually keeping your eyes on Jesus. Continually staying in the word. As letting the spirit speak to the word. Consistently praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you. To help you. To lead you. To guide you. Is the key. It's part of keeping your eyes on Christ. So let me ask. Do you have a boat? Do you have a place of comfort that you know the Holy Spirit? That you know that God is calling you to step out of? And so maybe there's something that you know is hindering your walk with Christ. And when we start to walk with Christ... Maybe we start to think back to that boat. Like Peter thinking back, oh man, I see the waves, I feel the wind. Man, I should be back at that boat. And he started to sink and we do the same. So what boat do you need to leave? What boat do you need to give up? Maybe you need to leave the boat of unfaithfulness to the things of God. Maybe you need to give up the spirit of disobedience to his word. Maybe you need to leave the boat of stress and there's some things that you know you can't control and yet you keep trying to control it and it's causing you a lot of stress. It's time for you to give it to the Lord. Say, God, this is what you've called me to control, but I know I can't and was never meant to control this. I'm giving it to you in faith. Whatever it is that is keeping you from walking with the Lord, it's time to get out of the boat. Because here's what Jesus wants to bring. This is what he wants to bring. He wants to bring peace. And following Jesus, it does bring peace. And it means you can have peace even in the middle of a storm. Even in the middle of when life is chaotic and, and all so much craziness is going on in a crazy world where it seems like something is changing every day or something that is a threat every single day. Well, I don't worry too much about it. Why? Because Jesus is my peace. He is my comfort. And where Jesus is, there's peace. Maybe you've seen this writing before, but the writing that says, Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. Know Jesus, N-O, no peace. Anything outside of him is a false peace, is a temporary peace, and one that will not last. The disciples had hard hearts. They also had a little faith. And that tends to be the same with us. When our hearts are hard, our faith is often small. And Jesus insisted that they get on that boat. Not because he wanted to get them wet. Not because he wanted to get them drenched and cold in the middle of the night and torture them. He insisted they go out there. He insisted they go out there because there was so much more he knew that his father had for them. And until their hearts were softened, he knew that they could not be molded. And the Lord brings storms into your life, Christian, to refine you, 
to mold you, to soften your heart. We can usually see where our heart is at, through our attitude, our actions to other believers, to other Christians, sharing the gospel. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? There's times our hearts can get so hardened. And our faith becomes so small. But as God starts to defrost that hard heart, our faith starts to grow. The joy of our salvation returns. And the peace of God, even in the middle of great difficulty, even in the middle of some of the once-in-a-lifetime storms, we have peace. You can have peace. Maybe, maybe you feel so broken. Maybe you feel so hard and you're so full of bitterness you think man I don't know if God could ever use me I love the story true story about the statue of David how Michelangelo took this this block of marble now, if you've seen the statue of David, you realize the reason there is another half, but I can't show that in church. But this beautiful piece of marble had been chipped, chiseled, and ultimately deemed unworkable by, by two other men who tried to work on it. This marble is just a hunk of junk. And Michelangelo took it. And he made something that others had rejected. And maybe by the world, you're chipped, you're chiseled, and you're broken. And you wonder, can God do anything with me? Because I don't feel valuable enough to be used. The beauty of Christ is he loves to wrap his beauty around our brokenness. And he makes something beautiful. Let us pray. Father. As we come before your presence. There's some right now who are broken, they're chiseled, and the world has completely cast them to the side. Maybe they've been told they're too broken. Maybe they've been told they're too old. Maybe they've been told they're too young. Maybe they're, they've been told they've made too many mistakes. But you take what is broken and you use it for your glory. For anyone who will step out of the boat and walk with Jesus in faith, he will change. He will mold. God, there's some maybe here this morning that they're saved. They know you as their Savior, but their heart is hard. 
They don't worship. They don't pray. They don't read your word. They don't witness. They don't, they don't care about anything about ministry or children. They just only care about themselves if they were truly honest with you. But they're not too far gone. And when we repent, when we confess, you start to shape, you start to mold. God, there's some who are in a storm right now that they don't quite understand why they're going through it. There's some right now who are going through it and they're trusting in you and they're holding on. They're holding on to you, Jesus. I pray that you'll give them strength. I pray that they'll keep their eyes on you in the middle of their battle. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, church. We can keep the chairs where they're at here today since there's no activities this evening. God bless you all.